0: verses 9 through 20. So as we hear this account of faith, ultimately in the book of Hebrews, there is much to speak of hope, not just here, and so we'll hear a number of references from this book that speak to that hope, given to those of of the Jews, saying, here is the faith that's been given to you, and yet something more was required of them, not your works, but the blood of Jesus Christ. And so needing to continue to bring them before something that, that says there's more assurance for you, there's more hope for you to... To be had, and that is found in the one and only Savior. And so, in that context, then let's hear these words Hebrews chapter 6. We pay special attention to the reading of God's word because it is the holy, inspired, inerrant word of Almighty God. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. "...not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works, and of faith toward God, and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the word of God, and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away, to restore them again to repentance." Since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up to contempt. For the land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust, so as to overlook your work and the love you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself of God's holy word. Let's pray together. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, as we come before your word tonight, as we come to hear more of the hope that is ours, as we speak not just of Advent, but of a life lived in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so we pray, Father, that as we open these words, Lord, that, that our hearts would be stirred, moved, Father, to, to indeed a service rendered in love in response, Father, to that which you have given us, that which we might anchor our hope in, That Christ has regarded our helpless estate and has shed his own blood for our soul. That he has entered into that most holy place. That the curtain could be torn and that we could be brought to you again in true righteousness. And so, Father, would the words of my mouth and the meditations of our spirits be pleasing in your sight. For you are our Lord, our rock and redeemer. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Children of God called to be saints, we read in the familiar words of 1 Corinthians 13, 13, so now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Perhaps some of you had had that for a a wedding text. They're, They're words that we return often in that kind of context, but they have a lot to say in terms of an understanding of Christmas, of Advent and what we are looking ahead to. Because when people ask you what you are waiting for at Advent, what Christmas is all about, what do you tell them? And so, of course, we would say, well, we're waiting for the coming of Jesus. And I pray you would extend that by saying, and we are waiting for him to come again. It's a good answer. It's the start of a great answer. Surely, again, you are saying you are waiting for the coming of the Savior of Jesus, for He will save His people from their sins. But what have you received? And so even to that question, you would say, well, we have received forgiveness of our sins. Our our sins have been atoned for. Our guilt has been removed. We have been made forever right with God. Justification realities, how we're made right with God realities. Again, that's awesome. It's a great start. But what about in those days where you don't feel that? Or the days that you're wrecked with guilt? Or when Satan attacks you to despair and says, You think that's yours? Look what you've done. Look who you are. Look what you're living for. Consider the thoughts of your heart. What do we have? Because that justification truth hasn't changed. But, but how am I connected to it again? How does that understanding of how that lives in me, how is that restored? How is that kept? How is, it, how is it strong? I've been given the gift of Christ even as I wait for him to come again and fulfill all of his promises and take me to be where he is. You see, I have hope and that's that connection of knowing with certainty what is mine in all of that way of justification and all of what he's continuing to work and that glorification that he promises to bring about. It's how we hold to those things. And so when we talk about our hope at Christmas, that's the reminder for us. These things that are so firm and sure, promised by a God who cannot lie, much to hold on to, much to trust, much to be thankful for, much to be ready for. And yet, when we give testimony, it doesn't sound like something we talk about. When we give testimony, we speak very quickly of receiving the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We hold to that love we are given. We cherish it. We are thankful for it. We know we'll be forever held in it. Romans 8, for I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God which is ours in Christ Jesus our Lord. We speak love at Christmas. And yes, it's what we've received. It is a part of our identity even as he is love. And so we move from that as the reformers that we are to the gift of faith. That we can know these things. Faith that we might believe in him and have eternal life. And so we give testimony of the same profession of our faith. No matter our current joys or our sorrows, again knowing we will be forever kept in that. 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, though it perishes by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so we're ready. Let's skip right to the candle in terms of love. Let's talk about the love of Jesus. Let's talk about faith and how these things are appropriated to me in the power of the Holy Spirit. But what about hope? How is that hope operating? Yes, the greatest of these is love. Yes, we think faith alone, sola of the Reformation. But what's your hope? Because that hope has a lot to speak of, what's your only comfort? Do we speak it? And I think some of that comes because we don't understand the gift that we're given or the way that it functions. And so children, maybe sometimes at Christmas you've received a gift sometime, maybe something that you didn't ask for, but when you open that gift, in the response that you see from everyone else in the room, you know it's important. That your parents or your grandparents, whoever gave it to you, gave it to you with a lot of love. And the ways their eyes open, say this thing is important, but you keep staring in this box and you're like, I don't get it. What's it for? What's it going to do? What purpose does it serve? You know it's good, but you don't know what it's for. In receiving Christ at Christmas, it's important. For by way of that gift, we do come to know the love of God. And by faith, we know that it is a great, a profound blessing. But hope reminds us of what it's for. Hope is the explanation of the gift you've been given. That in receiving Christ at Christmas, we have hope to speak about. That I have a purpose that my life resolves in a purpose. Ultimately, that there's something more than all of this. Hope. But again, we rarely speak of it. But isn't it something that we need? I mean, knowing you as a congregation, you're knowing me, we, we need hope. We recognize the things going on in our lives. We recognize the things going out into the world. There isn't a better message, again, outside of Christ, of which he's wrapped up in the same thing, that as we're talking about it and celebrating it and saying, we have a hope to consider as we celebrate the coming of Christ, the gift of Christ. Hope that is in short supply because people place their hopes in things that can never carry the weight of that kind of blessing and that kind of truth. So how will we speak of and experience hope in our Advent waiting? Are we waiting knowing that we have something firm and sure to hold on to in this life? Do we wait in the sure knowledge that there's something and someone waiting for us? We have hope. And so it is one for this life. But as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians fifteen nineteen, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all, of all people most to be pitied. So Advent then, in this waiting on the second coming, speaks something to that. We're waiting for and living for and speaking to and all that we do and say, the reality, I pray, of having a greater hope that we are actively waiting for in full. And so are you telling people, I have hope and his name is Jesus. Jesus a hope for this life of knowing the forgiveness of all my sins. And I have a hope in Jesus for that which is to come because he's preparing a place for me. And if he goes to prepare a place for me, he's going to come again that I might be with him forever. And he's going to receive us in the last day as those who cling to that hope in diligence, with patience, with great hope. And so that's what we want to talk about today in terms of our hope in the gift of Jesus. That in the incarnation of Jesus, we receive the fullness of hope. So, not just something little, we're getting the thing. And so, in having Him and receiving Him and waiting to receive Him, that hope brings us before an earnest diligence. We see that in verses 9 through 12, it brings us before an encouraged perseverance in verses 13 to 18. And then in verses 19 and 20, we are brought before our eternal assurance. But it first starts then, at least in terms of the flow of this text, with an earnest diligence. Because faith, hope, and love remain. They are the things that we are living out. Those are those things that are firm and fixed. They're ours in the person and work of Jesus Christ and in Him alone. But we have a struggle with talking about hope sometimes because of the way in which we speak of our assurance. And I know we're going to get there in the third point. But when we talk about our salvation as reformed people, we hate the word work. We don't like talk of being diligent or action or whatnot because, well, Christ has done all of it. That's our hope at Advent that we're having one who does all the work for us. And we're right. He does all the work of that salvation. That's why He has come. You will give Him the name Jesus because He will save His people from their sins. And yet in the truth of that, in what we have received, there's still again an understanding of that gift of which now that we know, okay, this is hope in the box and this is what I've gotten, now what do I do with that gift? I mean, kids, that would be silly. You get a gift from someone, this great thing, this awesome thing, and you leave it in the box. And you just look at it. And it never gets used. It's never played with. I mean, that's the nuttiness of all of these people who collect toys and they just sit on the shelf. They're going to be valuable someday. No, they're not. They're made to play. Here's this thing that we are given by God called hope, and he says, use it. Live it. And so in terms of salvation, do you, or even now in hope, in terms of that gift we've received, we do more than just appreciate it or give thanks for it. We put it to good use, to the use for which it's intended. And so we have to stop talking about faith, hope, and love as just nice decorations for the spiritual shelf. Gifts that were given to keep nice and have look nice rather than the tools, the blessings that God has given us to live out all the Lord promises to us in his Son. And so that's the rub of the Christians that the writer of Hebrews is speaking to. Because here are people that that have come to know a salvation, who have given themselves to good works, but now it's that hope bit. Have you placed your hope fully, not in the things that you've done, but in the Christ who's been given. And so verse 9 follows that, that understanding of, hey, what is your life producing? That, that this is important. And so in verse 9 we read, though we speak in this way, <coughs> yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things. The things that belong to salvation. That it isn't just about Oh, well, I I said the prayer, and now I have this this faith, hope, and love. No, how, how is it lived out? How does it show itself to be true? Faith that is tested, love that is pure, hope that remains. That here the writer is giving a call to more. Yeah, what you have is great, but how will it be used? To keep going. To keep striving for what is better. To have a firm hold and an understanding of that which is yours and to possess it fully. And that in no way, no way, and don't hear that, is meant to diminish the life of love that God's people live out. Look again at verse 10. For God is not unjust as to overlook your work and the love you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. Jesus will say it in Matthew 10, and whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. And even later on in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews 10, verses 32 and 34, but recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with suffering, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and abiding one. And yet, what's the danger there? Why is that earnest diligence being called for in these verses? Consider your own service, because even in the life of the church, we we take up the task. We take up serving others in love, but then we quickly realize that we're dealing with sinful people like ourselves, and it's not appreciated. It doesn't work. People walk away from it. People are dissatisfied. People are discouraged. People are heartbroken. People are bitter and envious, and so you continue on in that love because you know it's the right thing to do, and so delight now switches into duty, and now it's drudgery, and now it's hard, and... I know I need to love people. I know I need to do that. But because it's remained disconnected from comfort and hope, now we're miserable. And now that thing that should have been beautiful and life giving is life draining. And so the writer here is saying, I want to call you to diligence, but I want you to see the point. I want you to connect it to the hope. That we're not just hamsters in a wheel. right? That's not what being church is about. And and we're just going to keep doing the thing and we're going to keep doing the same thing over and over and over again because it's faithful. And I understand there's an element of that. Long road of obedience in the same direction. But the desire is greater. Verse 11, And we desire each one of you To show the same earnestness. So there's an encouragement here. You need to be earnest. There is a call to faithfulness. And I know it's hard and it's discouraging and it's difficult. And it's going to call from you every bit of your effort and every bit of the spirit and the strength that I provide to you. That that word earnest, children, means resulting from or showing sincere and intense conviction. It is the thing that you get after. It's the thing that you love the most. It's what you give your life to. It is your passion. Give that the same earnestness that I am desiring and giving myself to in every way. And the thing that you want to keep before you is to have the full assurance of hope until the end. Full assurance. And when we hear that, it still seems discordant to us. Because I'm in Christ. That's my assurance. I love Jesus. I love Jesus. And with James, we start saying to you, show me your faith by what you do. Show that love. Love when it's just easy. Easy. Service when it's just appreciated? No. Have the full assurance of hope until the end. There's more assurance to be had than what I already have. I'm not there yet. None of us are finished yet. And so, this hope that is my advent hope, I don't have all of it yet. Yes, I have the realities in Christ. But I have not come to receive all the fullness of what is mine in Jesus. A greater enjoyment. A more ardent practice of fellowship with him. A more praiseful dependence upon him. I'm not there yet. None of us are there yet. Diligent earnestness. Passion. Because you have a hope that is firm and fixed. Because the goalpost doesn't change. The goal line isn't moving. Full assurance. With a warning, so that you may not, verse 12, be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. That literally, young people, you could write here, so that you may not be lazy. because the joys and the blessings of what we've received as Reformed people can tend to do that to us. Sluggish. But instead might model those who have received what was promised. To look back at all of those examples of the faith who kept pressing on and straining and pushing ahead and wanting to have something more. Who we would look at and say, that is a person that I want to model my spiritual life at, and they're probably looking at you saying, I don't even have a small beginnings of what I want to have in Christ. And so what we have here is a call in that hope, both to diligent obedience and patient waiting. That as we obey diligently, we live out the hope of the promise guarantee. An obedience known in the practice of belief. You say you believe, then then show it, then do it. And yet we also wait patiently as we rest in the hope of a promise guaranteed. That our obedience in that way will be known in the practice of expectation. Lord, I serve, yes, because it's what you call me to, but I delight in it because I have fellowship with you, and I know that that is what my life is going to be given to for eternity. And so, oh, how I long to practice not only relationship with you, but service before my King. Even as Paul writes in Romans 8.25, but if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Hebrews 10.36, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. But, but again, that bold, let's, let's be about that, it, that earnest diligence in doing that thing, in being about it, even when it's hard, knowing that that hope that is steadfast Is enough for us then, in earnest diligence, to be steadfast? James 1, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. This is what hope calls us to. It's a hope that doesn't disappoint. We know what is prepared. We know what is waiting. And so are you given to that? Or is your heart right now a bit sluggish? You're struggling to engage in what the Lord has for you. You're discouraged by your own brokenness and the brokenness of others. God isn't so unjust to overlook that love. But he's saying it's not done yet. Is this your passion? Am I your passion? Is that coming out in the narrative of the hope that we speak? Even as the writer also gives us or calls us to in that hope to an encouraged perseverance because I'm not calling you to these things and the word doesn't call you to these things without giving you the blessing and the encouragement that you need to go and do it this isn't a call just to do things so that you can go and say pastor I'm already up to here with December and I got a lot more stuff to do already and so I do not need any more do list I got you but what we have here is encouragement to continue living out of the hope given in Jesus And so that's why we need to know that hope. It's why we need to know that comfort more fully because of what we're met with each and every day. And because in the midst of that busy and the schedule that looks crazy with all of those post-its and all of those scratch-out and reschedule and whatnot and everybody else's schedule, I get so fixed and focused on the now or the next emergency that my gaze is somewhat distracted. And so it's a hope that we know more fully as we give ourselves more and more to simply persevering in a great trust of the one who makes the promise. And so as we consider those examples, there's a number of them in the Scriptures, but the writer goes here in verse 13, for when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, surely I will bless you and multiply you. And Abraham is basically the first Zechariah. How is this going to (laughs) happen? My wife is old. And now you've told me the the son of the slave woman isn't the son of the inheritance. How do you do this? Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And it's what comes out in the Genesis 22 account at the sacrifice of Isaac where God says in verse 17, because you have, not done th- you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and the sand that is on the seashore. And your shall pos- offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all of the nations of the earth be blessed. But hear this link, because you have obeyed my voice. Abraham, you are living out of the hope of a great promise that I have given you. And I needed to see that and test that in this moment. Not so that you would receive the promise by way of your work, but that you would hold to the promise that I have given you in a better son and a better ram. Found in Christ. And he swears by whom? By himself. Galatians 3.15, to give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it's been ratified. Here is God saying, I've made a promise, and I swear to keep it in myself. It's why he's the only one who walks through the pieces when he makes the promise to Abraham, because he says, if I don't keep my promise, I will end myself. It can't happen. Here is that blessing. And so, the encouragement of perseverance in looking at that example and looking at the life of Abraham, who didn't always get it right, but yet perseveres anyway, is bred out in the way, hear this, that we wait on the Lord, that we wait for the Lord, that we wait on the Lord. And so, it's said so simply here in this text, and that's the beauty of verse 15. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. That's hope in action. I will receive it. Herein lies the encouragement. And be encouraged in this, saints. Patient waiting leads to full receipt. You will have what is promised. Yes, that earnest diligence you are called to But the encouragement and perseverance is that God is preserving you through all of it in relationship to him. Patient waiting leads to full receipt. And man, that sounds easy. If it was just that easy. Because no one comes into the study to talk to the pastor to say, you know what, pastor, I am cheerfully waiting on the Lord. Oh, you can't believe how long I've waited in prayer for this thing that I still don't have, but it's good. (laughs) No, it's usually hurt for waiting and complaint about waiting. And I don't want to wait any longer. And how much longer do I need to wait? And I will confess before you, I hate waiting. I just want to know what the thing is. I don't even want to wait for Christmas. It's like going to a restaurant, kids, and complaining that you have to wait 15 minutes for a table that you will have. (laughs) Oh, I'm not going to wait here. I'm going to drive an hour away to another restaurant to wait 15 minutes. What if we just patiently waited? Then you would have it at the restaurant you already wanted to be at. How much more as we wait on the Lord? He's always going to give what's best at the right time. The problem is never God. The problem's us. That's the struggle of Advent. Why we need to remember what that hope is. We're waiting. Abraham and a number of men and women of the scriptures had to wait years and years and years to receive their promises. I mean, how long Noah is building a boat when people are like, what's rain? Patiently waiting. Lord, I am old. I'm advanced in years. My wife is. Wait in the Lord. Be strong and take courage and wait on the Lord. Lord, how long I have prayed for my children? How long I have discipled that young man? How long have I been in the life of that young woman? Lord, I've sought your face and I still feel. Wait on the Lord. When am I going to be comforted? Wait on the Lord. When am I going to be provided for? Wait on the Lord. When will my service be acceptable? Wait on the Lord. Simply for the joy of what they held. That's what we miss. I already have it. I've got a guarantee it is good as done. I just have to wait. I've got to wait. And after patiently waiting in obedience and trust, in earnest and in persevering, Abraham received, not because of his obedience, even though he was called to great faithfulness in believing. Galatians 3 Paul says, for if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. It's always been about the promise. That's what you have. You have a promissory note in Jesus Christ. This is what is yours. You've just got to wait. Can we wait? Advent is a call to wait. The call of Christ and the promise is a call to wait. And he proves it again. Verse 16, for people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes is an oath of disputes, and oath is final for confirmation. And here's a reference to Exodus 22 where you've suffered loss and you think it was your neighbor and your neighbor says, no, it wasn't me. And you accept that. You accept that as a promise in an understanding that the loss is taken care of by the Lord. And he's saying, I've given you a better promise. So when God, verse 17, desired to show More convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. Proverbs 19.21 says, Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. He shows it convincingly, not for himself, for you, that you would have hope, so that you would never doubt so that verse 18, by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. He can't do it. He would deny himself. Numbers 23, 19, God is not man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? He's immutable. He's unchanging. Which means the promise that you hold to will never change either. Your sure receipt of it is never something you have to doubt. And he gives an oath anyway. (laughs) He says, I'm going to double promise. I don't need to, but you've got all of it. And it's for you because I know your weakness. And I know your lack of trust. And I know the hard that it is to persevere. Brothers and sisters, we have a sure and unchanging and steadfast hope for the now and for always. And that should serve as your encouragement. God, I know what's at the end. I know it's mine. I know that it's sure. I know that it's kept, even as I'm kept. So help me to trust you. Help me to walk with you a life of trust when I don't understand what you're doing or why this is so hard or why it's so hurtful. But I know what's mine. And so I will wait and I will follow and I will trust and I will live out the life you have given me to walk with perseverance. And when that's difficult, when is that not difficult? The truth is the very thing we remember when we run to him. We who have fled for refuge, he says it, come to me, come to me, I'm that refuge, I will cover you with my wings, I will do that for you, might have a strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. I've given you something, but it's there. It is the most beautiful carrot ever, and I'm not going to take it away, so go get it. Seek it, because in doing so, you're seeking me, because he desires to have us fully in that hope. And you're like, well, I don't know how to do that, and that way is hard, and it's a constant struggle, and you're right. But in Hebrews 12, it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. That hope is a race set before you. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy, there's your link, for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated in the Father's promise at the right hand of God. This is the Savior's example for you. This is the example of a host of witnesses whose lives have said the same, persevere, it is worth it. There is blessing in it and great joy even in the heart because we will have what is promised in the end. And that's an eternal assurance in the last place. Because that kind of diligence and perseverance, if it's not linked to that assurance, is going to burn you out and discourage you. If ours is not assured and full hope, we're going to become hurt in our serving and waiting, and especially discouraged in hardships and persecutions. And yet, what is Paul written in Romans five? Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, that perseverance. And endurance produces character. And you're like, I've got enough character. (laughs) No character. And character produces hope. To have the full of that hope, you have to walk through some hard, earnest diligence, continuing to persevere. You're going to have to work through it. There's a great deal of spiritual maturity that's wrapped up in these verses. But in the end, what is ours? Hope does not put us to shame because what are we going to know? God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given us. Which means if an eternal God has given us that, then we have a hope that springs eternal. We have assurance because of whom our hope is found in. Verse 19, circle it. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. What an awesome picture. Anchored. There it is. That boat's going nowhere. I have an anchor that is sure, fixed, immovable, steadfast, unchanging, unmoved. You have this, all of this, all of this hope, all of your gift in Christ as that. So why am I always rocking a Peter complex? Peter, you have this. You have Christ. And you are looking all over the place at all of the waves that are going to mess you up rather than looking and holding on to your anchor that isn't going to go and isn't going to move. Christian, why? We have an eternal assurance. Assurance. Why? Because we have a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. The wonder of the fact that Christ comes and in the sacrifice he makes that curtain is torn, but he goes there first, and he says, I am your holiness, I am your righteousness. I bring you before that altar of incense that we read in the Zechariah story, but more, I bring you to the Holy of Holies, and my blood covered there on the mercy seat is for you, that you might have relationship with the Father forever. You have hope. Which means you have confidence. Confidence. Hebrews 10, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, hear it, in full assurance of faith, that you will come having the thing that you have longed for and striven for and given yourself to with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure blood water. Why? Because we have a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. One who is incarnate for us who had to be, Hebrews two seventeen made like his brothers in every respect so he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation, a sacrifice for the sins of the people. Hebrews four fourteen. since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, hear it. Let us hold fast our confession. So I ask you, do you? Are you? No matter what is coming, no matter how you are discouraged, no matter your struggle, your sorrow, your pain, your grief, are you fixed in a sure and steady anchor? Or more, have you received him? Do you know the hope that I'm talking about? Do you know Jesus who has paid the price by way of his life and by way of his death for all of your sins? that you would have life and a life abundant in Him. It starts with believing and living the life that He gives you in the fullness of the hope that He's promised and longing for more of it. That we would know that blessing. And so we close then in that understanding of hope with the wonder of what we're striving for and persevering to. 1 Peter 1. And you need to know it's worth waiting for. It is completely worth waiting for. Have you received a full hope in Jesus? Yes. I pray that that is true. Do we want more? Yes. And so we will be earnest in persevering for that. But in the encouragement and the blessing of a blessed assurance that that Jesus we hope for is mine, even in the beauty of that foretaste that is ours of glory divine. Amen. Let's pray. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for that hope that you have given, the hope of the Christmas season, which is Jesus, that hope that you have poured into our hearts by your Spirit, a hope that does not disappoint and Father, we confess to you just how often we are disappointed or discouraged or impatient with you, with ourselves, and with others. And you call us to wait with diligence, with action, with earnestness, with passion. Father, with conviction, with great hope and comfort, because the promise is sure. And so, Lord, may our thanksgiving in this Christmas season, the sharing of our faith with others, yes, talk about the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord, and faith to receive that promise, but a hope that's lived out, a hope that is ever more full and ever more green and lush and ripe with each passing hour as we live in fellowship with you independence upon you. Lord, thank you for the blessed assurance that is ours. Thank you for the hope that is ours in the gift of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.